Well, if you have a Bible, either a printed copy or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's easy to find. It's the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. So start at the front. Go a little ways and you'll find Deuteronomy. We changed the pictures up here for today because today we're going to be talking about parenting and and grandparenting. And this picture right here is probably about from 2005 um, when all of my kids were still at home before they got married. John was in college. The rest were in either high school or middle school. And then this picture right here is of Sherry and me and, and our grandkids. Um, this, I think this is this past Christmas, and this was with 10 of them. Now we have another on the way. We're going to be adding an 11th. But um, kids and grandkids, they are, they are a gift from God. And I would say that grandkids more than kids <laughs> are a gift from God. And just kidding there, just kidding. But they're both a gift from God. But I think we would all agree that parenting, it's difficult. Years ago, James Dobson wrote a book entitled, Parenting Isn't for Cowards. And I think anyone who has parented would agree with that statement. Parenting can be tough. When I began parenting, I used to have four theories and no kids. But then I had four kids and no theories. Because I came to realize that, that no matter how hard I tried and no matter how many books I read, parenting is tough. And it seems like you're always pivoting. Uh, for me, I was always changing, you know, because a new theory would come out on how you were to discipline, what you were supposed to do, and all of that. So I would change back and forth. So I'm surprised that my kids aren't schizophrenic. Because, I mean, we would have it where, you know, you can't, you can't watch Teletubbies. Okay, you can watch Teletubbies. You can't, you can't play with, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, you can play with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You can't dress up for Halloween. Okay, you can dress up for Halloween. And so I'm, I'm surprised that my kids are sane. Because parenting is tough. I've discovered that parenting is probably one of the most fulfilling, yet at the same time, one of the most frustrating and frightening things we'll ever do. It's fulfilling because our children are a gift from God. They bring blessings to our lives, and we have this amazing privilege of molding them and helping them become all that God wants them to be. But it's frustrating because it's difficult. And there are times that we will feel like failures as parents. We will feel like we've done the wrong thing, we've made the wrong decision, and that's frustrating. And it's frightening because of the immense responsibility, the realization that if we fail, that our kids could, could miss out on God's best for their life. Now, I could tell you all kinds of stories 
from our kids growing up. But to save them the embarrassment of that, I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is tell you someone else's stories. And these are humorous, but this is what someone said they learned as a parent. They said, I learned that when you hear the toilet flush and you hear an uh-oh, it's already too late. <laughs> I can identify. I learned that certain Legos will pass through the digestive tract of a four-year-old. Never had this one happen, but I've got four grandkids with my house. So I need to be careful. I learned that Play-Doh and a microwave should never be used in the same sentence. I learned that no matter how much jello you put in the pool, you'll still never walk on water. I learned that marbles in the gas tank make a lot of noise. And then this one right here. I learned that the spin cycle on the washing machine makes cats dizzy. And I learned that cats can throw up twice their weight when they're dizzy. Maybe you can relate to the mother who took her son Billy to first grade and when she got home or her husband said, did Billy cry when you dropped him off? She said, no, but the teacher did. <laughs> Maybe you've had a, a kid like that. I mean, parenting is tough. And I know that some of you here this morning may be having experiences that are anything but humorous. And to be honest, there may be some of you that are going through some painful things right now. And your situation as a parent seems overwhelming. But I've got news for you. You're not alone. There are other people in this journey with you. And they're willing to walk with you. And God is always with you. The truth of the matter is this world is out to get our children. If you don't believe that, all you need to do is take a few minutes to listen to the people who are influencing your children. Just take a few minutes to watch what your kids are watching. Take a few minutes to read some of the things that they are bringing home from school. And you will realize this world is out to get our children. But the truth of the matter is this has happened before. In Deuteronomy chapter 6... Moses is preparing the people of God to enter the promised land. It was a land that the Bible says was flowing with milk and honey. But it was also a land that was saturated with false gods, with pagan practice, grotesque immorality. And God knew that if they weren't ready, their children would be taken hostage to that immoral society. And so God wanted to prepare them. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 4 or verse 1. It says, These are the commands, the decrees, the laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and the commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Now, verse 2 in the God's Word translation is translated this way. It says, as long as you live, you, your children, and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God. 
all of you must obey all of his commands and laws that I'm giving you, and you will live a long life. Now notice, this command is for you, your children, your grandchildren. The psalmist repeats pretty much the same thing when he's talking about this period of time. In Psalm 78, he says this, For he, that's God, commanded our ancestors to teach them God's word to their children. So the next generation might know them, God's word, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. You see, we have a responsibility to pass on to the next generation the truth of God's Word. And if we do not do that effectively and diligently, we will lose our children. And there's a clear example of that found in God's Word. It's found in in the book of Judges. The book of Judges covers a period in Israel's history that was about 3,000 years ago. And it is one of the most gruesome, one of the most violent, one of the most wicked periods in Israel's history. It's hard to find a period in human history that is more dark than this period. But the amazing thing is, this period of time was written about God's people. And as we come to the end of that book, the book of Judges, we read not once but twice, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, there was no longer a standard of right and wrong. Whatever you believed was okay. Whatever you wanted to do, you did. They had completely removed God's Word and replaced it with their own standard of truth. And it led to chaos. It led to violence. It led to crazy immorality. Sound kind of familiar but the question is how in the world did they get there the Israelites were God's chosen people they were a people that were set apart for God's love and God's purpose so how in the world did they fall so far well there are a number of things that I I think contributed to it but the bottom line is They failed to reach the next generation. They failed to teach the truths they learned to their children and their children's children. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Listen to what it says. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, and that generation was the generation that had heard the law of God being given before they entered the promised land the second time in, in Deuteronomy. This was a generation that saw the hand of God, the power of God, as they went into the promised land. They witnessed that God was real. They knew that God was real. So after this generation had been gathered to the fathers, after they had died, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, the only way that there could be one generation that knew the Lord and the next generation didn't is the parents and the grandparents didn't teach the truths of God's Word to their children and their children's children. And I'm afraid that's what's happening in America today. 
We are in danger of raising a generation that neither knows the Lord, nor do they know the things that he has done. They know nothing about his power. So how can we keep from losing our children to this world that desperately wants to capture our children? Well, I believe in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives us four things. His parents and grandparents. First, I believe he tells us that we need to know the Lord personally. Listen to what it says in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, God's word translation translates that verse. Listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is the only God. This verse from the Hebrew can be translated, listen closely. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone is God. Now, this verse is called the Shema from the Hebrew word to hear. It was as important to the Jew as John 3.16 is for those of us who were Christians. Now, the word hear tells us that this is extremely important. God is saying, listen up. Don't miss this. This is fundamental. This is foundational. You will never make it in the land that you are going into unless you know this truth. You see, the promised land was, was filled with many gods. And if God's people did not nail down what they believed, they would drift away from God and they would have a tendency to follow after false gods. So Moses is saying, this is the foundational truth upon which we build our life. Now notice what he says. He says, there is one God. There is only one God. And God is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And he is our God. The prophet Isaiah said pretty much the same thing in Isaiah 45, verse 5. He's speaking for God, and God says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. You see, God wanted his people to know that he was not only the all-powerful God, he was the one and only God. But I want you to hear me. It's not enough to believe in the reality of God. The overwhelming majority of Americans believe in the reality of God today. The overwhelming majority of Americans, well over 50%, over 60% of Americans still believe in the God of the Bible. You see, we need to understand that there is a big difference between knowing about God, believing in God, and knowing God. The Bible teaches that we have to have a personal relationship with him listen to that verse again it says the lord is our god that implies relationship that implies personal relationship here's what i know i want you to listen we will never pass on to our children what we don't possess ourselves. let me say that again we will never pass on to our children what we don't possess ourselves. you can take your kids to church you can send them to christian schools you can even have a time where you talk to them about the bible at home but if you don't know the lord per personally if his life has not permeated your life then your children probably won't get it 
So parents, grandparents, let me ask you a question. Do you know him? When did it happen? How did it happen? How did giving your life to Jesus change your life? The Bible says that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives and he makes us a new person. Has that happened to you? I imagine that many of us, perhaps most of us here in this room, have never told our kids about that. If you're here and you know that Jesus has changed your life, maybe, maybe just maybe this afternoon, after you eat lunch, the two of you, if they're mom and a dad in a home, the two of you maybe ought to sit down with your kids and tell your kids when you came to know Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, what difference he's made in your life. Tell them your story. But let me ask you, parents, grandparents, do you know the Lord? I mean, can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you don't just know about him, you can't just spout off the facts about him, the truths of the Bible, but you know him. It's changed your life. His Holy Spirit is living in you. Do you know that? Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me. When Jesus saves he changes. However old you are when you give your life to Jesus, if you gave your life to Jesus, he changes you. He makes you new. And you're going to know when that is. As you get older, you may not remember whether you were 9 or 10 or whether you were 17 or 18, but you can remember the event. You can remember the moment. I remember distinctly when I was saved. I will never forget that moment. It was a life-changing event. I remember the first date I went on with my wife. That was a life-changing event. If you can remember those kind of events, you can remember when Jesus changed your life. And if you can't nail down a time when Jesus changed your life, you need to ask yourself, do I know him personally or do I just know about him? Because you're never going to give your kids what you don't know. You've got to know the Lord personally. Second, you've got to love the Lord passionately. Now listen to verse 5. It says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now here's what I've observed. Most parents pass on to their children the things that they love. If parents really love sports, their kids tend to love sports. If parents love hunting or fishing, kids tend to love hunting and fishing. If parents love music and art, their kids tend to love music and arts. We pass on to our children what we love. When Jesus was asked the most important commandment of all, he quoted this verse. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And here's what I'm afraid of today. Many of us love the Lord our God 
but not with all. And that's what we pass on to our kids. And because of that, we inoculate them from the real thing. We may know the Lord, but because we're giving them just a dose of the Lord, we inoculate them. And you say, what do you mean? Well, let me explain. Well, if you go to the doctor to get an inoculation shot for a certain disease, or if you go and get a flu shot to protect you from the flu, what you're getting oftentimes is a small, small dose of the disease. And the small dose of the disease that you're getting is inoculating you, is protecting you, giving you an immunization to the real thing. And I'm afraid that many parents in our culture today are giving our kids a small dose of Jesus that is keeping them from ever experiencing Jesus in all his power, in all his glory. Our kids watch us go to church. They watch us go through the motion. But they see that he hasn't consumed us. They don't see anything that proves that he has overtaken us. He's not something we live for, something we breathe for, something we're willing to die for. Look back at verse 5. Verse 5, it tells us three times we're to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. God's Word is making it clear that we need to love the Lord with every fiber of our being, not just bits and pieces and parts of who we are. Our entire life is to be infected by our love for Him, our morals, our money, our marriage. Every part of our life is infected because of our love for Jesus. And, and too often today, we compartmentalize our life. We have our work life. We have our recreational life. We have our family life. We have our church life. We have our secret life. And Jesus simply says, I want your life. Every single bit of it. And so I ask you parents, do your kids see a relationship with God in you that causes a passionate love for him to overflow into obedience that impacts every area of your life? This past week, I read something written about David Pollock. Now, David Pollock is the University of Georgia, four-time All-American. He's currently an ESPN College game day analyst. He was drafted in the pros, played, by, played in the pros until he got a um, career-ending injury. And Dave Pollock is a Christian. And on April the 23rd, two weeks ago, he was speaking at a church, and he had a question and answer time. And he was asked a question, and this is his answer to the question. Four-time All-American, ESPN, ESPN game-time analyst. He's big into sports. Listen to what he said. He said, you are right in putting faith first. We can be all over the place. We could be in Oregon on Saturday, but we are going to be in church every Sunday. Every Sunday in the fall when life is busiest, we are going to be in church. My kids know we are going to be in church. Wednesday nights, we go to church. It's not an option. There is nothing we do that takes us away from church. I love everything that comes with sports. Discipline, toughness, winning, losing. But when we consistently skip church for sports, you are showing your kids that sports are more important than God. 
Church attendance is a non-negotiable for us. If sports are what you prioritize in your house, it will be tough for your kids in the future. Two weeks ago, ESPN analysis, every single Saturday, he's covering games all around the United States. And he said, on Sundays, we're in church with our kids. This is an All-American, four-time All-American. Do you think his kids probably love sports? I would say they do. I would say they've got it in their genes, probably. I mean, they are built to be good athletes, most likely. But he said on Sunday, we are in church. Parents, what you need to understand is your kids see what you are prioritizing. And sometimes we prioritize things because we love our kids, but in so doing, we're showing our kids that we love some things more than we love God. There's an old poem that I heard years ago that I wrote down and I've kept. It says, little eyes are watching. Listen to the poem. It says, there are little eyes upon you and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that listen to every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do. And a little boy, he's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicion ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up just like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right and his ears are always open and he watches day and night. You were setting an example every day in all you do for that little boy who's waiting to grow up to be just like you. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, kids are watching you. And believe me, they see you. And they see what is important to you they're going to model you and what you marginalize today they will most likely forget tomorrow so don't marginalize Jesus prioritize Jesus heard a preacher who went into a Sunday school class with a bunch of kids and he asked him, why do you love God? And each of the kids gave a different answer. But the preacher said he loved the last answer the best. as a little boy who was sitting on the end of the row. And when he got to this little boy, the little boy said, I don't know why I love God, preacher. I guess it just runs in my family. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. I, I like that, that a little boy would, would say, loving God runs in my family. Know God personally. Love God passionately. Third, pursue God consistently. Listen to verse 6. It says, and you must think constantly about these commands I am giving you today. The contemporary English version simply says, memorize his law. Now, I'm not going to spend much time here, but what you need to know is you can't teach what you don't know. Did you hear me? You can't teach what you don't know. And the truth is, there are many of us who are parents today, grandparents today, who have never developed a plan to systematically study God's Word. And if we're not in God's Word, then God's Word cannot get into us. It's amazing today 
How many people go to Bible teaching churches and believe crazy things? And the reason is because we've never allowed the Word to permeate our lives. We're not digesting God's Word regularly. Years ago, I heard something that stuck with me. I heard it from my dad. But he said, if you want God's Word in your heart, there are five things that you need to do with God's Word. You need to hear it. That's what you're doing today, sitting here. That's what you do when you're listening to Christian podcasts, teaching. You're hearing God's Word. The second thing you need to do is you need to examine it. You need to read it for yourself. That's what the Apostle Paul told the Bereans. Don't believe what I say. Read the Bible for yourself and you'll see it's true. You see, too often we hear people say things today and we take it as truth when everyone that teaches is not saying truth. You hear it, you examine it. The A is analyze. You study it. There are scriptures that are clear. There are other scriptures that you need to get into it and you need to look deep into it. You need to study it. And then fourth, you need to remember it. You need to memorize it for yourself. There's power in memorizing God's Word. And we've got out of that habit today as believers. And then five, you need to think about it. You need to meditate on God's Word. What does this Word have to say to me today? Listen, we have to pursue the Lord consistently. And we have no excuse today. Every one of you who have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app. And in in moments, you can have a number of different Bible reading plans where you can read the Bible through in a year or two years or three years. You can decide what you want to do and read the Bible through. But I'm telling you today, if you want to impact your kids, you've got to pursue the Lord consistently. And finally, you have to teach the Lord intentionally. Listen to what it says in verses 7 and 9. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The idea here is that we keep going over God's Word over and over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes a part of our children's lives. The word repeat, the, the word in some translations impress means to sharpen. And the picture here is we're taking a blade of a knife and you're rubbing it onto that puma stone over and over and over until it's razor sharp. And God is telling us in his word that we need to get into God's word with our children like that until they are razor sharp in God's word. And notice, we're sharpening them 24-7 when they're sitting, when we're walking, when we're going to bed, when we're getting up in the morning. Every moment of every day that we have with them, we're pouring God's word into their lives. Now listen, I get it. I understand If I could go back and change anything in my parenting time, it it would be to be more present. It's easy to be an absentee parent, even when you're in the same room. Would you agree? I mean, what we've done today, because, goodness, we need a break, is we use the TV, we use gaming systems to, to keep our kids occupied. And the Bible says... That if we want to raise champions, we've got to teach them when they get up, 
when they go to bed, when they're walking, when they're lying down, every opportunity we get, we're pouring into them God's Word. Listen, the world is pouring into your kids. And the tragedy is, is we're not pouring into our kids. And it's not a, the church's responsibility to do that. It's not a Christian school's responsibility to do that. It's your responsibility to do that. The church partners with you. Christian schools, which are wonderful things in our culture today, they partner with you. But you've been given the role, the responsibility to teach your children. It is up to you. You're going to decide. It's at home that your kids learn the values that they're going to take in life. It's, it's at home that your kids learn that there are consequences for the decisions that they make. It's at home that your kids learn what it means to have responsibility, what it means to respect authority, what it means to try to be selfless in life. It's at home that your kids learn what it means to study God's Word. It's at home where they learn that it's important to gather together with other believers. And let me say, I know that it's more difficult to do that today than ever before. So many of you as parents, both of you are working. And you come home and you're tired. I get it. Back in previous generations before my generation, I mean, the kids stayed at home. And the kids went out and worked with their dads in the field. And so while they were working, their dads could pour truth into them. And the daughters would work at the house with their, with their mom, canning and cleaning and cooking. And while they did those things, they would pour into them what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, how to have responsibility, how to have a strong work ethic, how to forgive how to do those things. And now we send our kids off to school and we go off to work. We come home and we're all tired. We've got things to do. And, and then we want to break by watching TV or playing games or doing whatever else. And then it's time to go to bed. And before long, we don't have any time with our kids. And we wonder, we wonder why our kids are being captured by the world. It's up to you and I to decide what we're going to do with our kids. Are we going to teach them intentionally? Years ago, Gigi Graham, Billy Graham's daughter, wrote a book. The book was entitled Pass It On. And this is what she said in the introduction. I want to read it to you. She said, the, crowd, the sound of crunching gravel beneath the tire suddenly broke, brought me back to reality. I had been remembering my happy childhood as we made our way up the driveway that led to the familiar red brick farmhouse. With a heavy heart, I slowly got out of the car. I always disliked goodbyes, but this one was going to be even more difficult than usual. I knew this would be the last time I would see my grandmother, Graham. As we entered the quiet bedroom, tears filled my eyes. She looked so small, so frail, sitting on the edge of her bed. Soft white hair framed her sweet, gentle face, which although pale, was radiant with joy at seeing her grandchildren and great-grandchildren again. One by one, we approached her bedside, taking each one in her feeble arms, 
She gave us a special verse or a blessing. And then with deep conviction in her weak voice, she said, pass it on. A few days later, Mother Graham died, and I've never forgotten her words. Pass it on. You see, parents, it's our responsibility to pass on to our children a passionate love for God. And if we don't do it, the chances of them that have it are slim. It's up to us. So what do we need to do? First of all, we need to know the Lord personally. So I would ask you today, do you know him? Do you really know him? I mean, can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt, here's when I came to know him and life is different because of Jesus? Oh, it's not worth spending eternity separated from God because of embarrassment or fear or anything else. If you don't know Jesus, you were created to know him. I want to beg you, give your heart to him today. Come to the cross let him save you. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian, but, but your life hasn't shown that you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I would encourage you, parent today, grandparent today, get your priorities in order. Live your life in such a way that shows your kids there is nothing more important than Jesus. And then pour it into them. When they go to bed at night, when they wake up in the morning, when they're walking on the road, when they're sitting down, pour Jesus into them. If you make them successful in life, but they stand before the throne of God and he says, I never knew you. You've lost everything. Pour Jesus into your kids. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, do you know him? If you're here this morning and, and as I ask that question, the Holy Spirit tugged at your heart. You were convicted that you really didn't have a relationship with him, that something was missing. I want you to hear me. That's God drawing you to himself. Don't reject him. If he's drawing you, if he's tugging at your heart today, surrender. Give your all to him. Begin a personal relationship with him today. If you want to do that, you can pray this prayer right now. Just repeat after me. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. I've lived as if I were God, as if I were on the throne. Forgive me. I'm tired of living that way. Jesus, I know you came to this earth. I know you died on that cross for my sins. I know you rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. So I could be set free. 
so I could be made new. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me today. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Make me brand new. I want you, Jesus, with all my heart. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now look at me. If you pray.